Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Thank you for tuning in to today's Baseball America podcast. Thank you, Dave Slade, for the intro. Thank you for listening, and we want to remind you that Baseball America's podcasts are sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. If you are a baseball fan, you need to check out Baseballism.com or visit their retail locations in Cooperstown, New York, and Scottsdale, Arizona. Visit Baseballism.com and enter the code BA2017 to save 20% off, and we sure hope you do that. We appreciate the downloads and the subscription to the Baseball America podcast. I saw some new uh, comments on the Baseball America iTunes page. Thank you for that. Yeah, we appreciate that. I'm John Manuel. He's J.J. Cooper. And uh, we were coming to you from Baseball America's headquarters today, and, and we had some news yesterday. If you didn't already see, Baseball America with a new ownership group, so don't think significant things will change uh, for our customers. You might see a little bit more coverage in some areas, but I don't think you'll see anything less in other areas. I don't I don't anticipate significant changes, but we're very happy as I put we're it. We're excited about it. Yeah, as I put it on Twitter to, to Gary Green of the uh, Omaha Storm Chasers uh, owner and Larry Botel, uh, Larry and, and Gary work together as general partners for the Richmond Flying Squirrels and the Omaha Storm Chasers, they're part of the new ownership of Baseball America Enterprises. Uh, but they gave our brand back to us, and we're very excited about that. We thank the Enthusiast Network for previous five-plus years of uh, being the parent company of Baseball America. But now we're back to being an independent publisher as opposed to part of a larger uh, corporate group of magazines. So um, I think that for people who've been longtime subscribers of Baseball America and even recent subscribers, you really won't see any significant changes. Uh, and our job, especially my job as editor-in-chief, is to make sure you don't see any changes for the worse. So uh, keep my, keep me honest on that, please. John Manuel at BaseballAmerica.com or uh, on Twitter at John Manuel BA. But this is a uh, – it's not 30 for 30. We didn't exactly do it in 30 years, JJ. We didn't do it in 30 days either. But we do have 30 podcasts for 30 teams, top 10s, and top 30s, and we're wrapping up today with the San Francisco Giants. Uh, we wanted to get this in before we did the top 100 today so that we would – Fulfill our promise that we would knock out all 30 and then go to the top 100. So Correct. We, Giants fans, we are getting that done just under the wire. Every To all things, there is a season, and uh, it's the Giants' turn. And uh, you know the Giants are not heavily represented, J.J., on our top 100. And that was, one of the, that was one of the big – that was one of the questions that came up in the chat that I saw was, where's Christian Arroyo or where's Chris Shaw? You know, why only one Giant? So I guess that starts off with – it kind of begs the question – uh, you know how, how what kind of shape is this farm system for a Giants team that you know the the two, six seven and eight first rounds of Lincecum, Bumgarner and Posey it's going to be very hard if not impossible to ever do that again and three World Series in five years was the payoff for that kind of success of course 2008 draft also Brandon Crawford some other you know Brandon Belt some other nice homegrown pieces that John Barr and Dick Tidrow and uh, Jeremy Shelley and the whole front office over there is brought over under Bobby Evans and Brian Sabian. But what's kind of what's next? It seems like this farm system, but there, I think it's safe to say those franchise cornerstone players, there's probably not one in the current Giants farm system. Is that a fair statement? Right. It's likely there's not. Um, the, the closest would be, I would say, is the guy who is number one on this list, but even Tyler Beatty, who... Very good year last year. A very encouraging year, I think. Yeah. From the standpoint of Tyler Beatty at different times in his development, and we're going back to his amateur days. Yes. You have 
Tyler Beatty, the hard-throwing, wild, misses a lot of bats, walks a lot of guys guy at Vanderbilt. Yeah, I mean, even before that, when he was a high school yeah. first-round pick, he, had, he was a raw-armed but power-armed young New England pitcher who was kind of, you know, I mean, there's a, been a – that's a phylum of right. pitcher. We could talk about that in another podcast, but there's a – Kind of a type, and he kind of played into that type where he showed you power. He showed you ability to spin, J.J., at times in his amateur career. It sounds like that came back to an extent in 2016. So then let's take him from that. He goes to pro ball, and they really reworked him somewhat. I mean, it was a pretty significant, I wouldn't call it a complete teardown by any stretch, but it definitely was something where they looked at it and said, we don't feel like that the way you are right now is, is really the way you need to be. And so there was some simplification of his delivery. There was almost also a change of mindset in some ways. There was a focus on throwing more, you know, more two seamers and, right. and using different kind of style of pitcher. Different style of pitcher. And it really almost so what happened with that is is that that was productive in some ways, but at the same time what happened with that is is you didn't see the same power that you saw before. And he stopped missing bats as much. And again, some of that was by design, but it probably went too far the other way. And so what you saw this year was kind of a fusion of those two things. The simplified delivery and all still there, which has led to being able to throw more strikes. But the power the power came back. You were seeing him being able to give you a 96-mile-an-hour four-seamer in later innings of, work, you know, of outings when he needed to. And you, he was able to be not just a guy who kept the ball down the zone, but a guy who could get the ball down the zone, but also could try to blow you away when he needed to. And that's really the best version of Tyler Beatty. Now, again, it still does not make him, when you look at him, when you talk to scouts from other organizations, they don't see a future one-two. Right. But it does make him a guy who is really on the cusp right now uh, of being a solid big league starter, probably a middle-of-the-rotation starter. And, I, you know, he, double-A last year, not triple-A, not but... I talked to guys inside the Giants organization who said, if we'd have needed him at the end of last year, Tyler B was ready to help us. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to be in the rotation to start 2017 either, but he's not that far away. He is the guy, when you talk about impact, because we go beyond that, Christian Arroyo, it's not a great year, and Richmond is a tough place to hit, but that was not, that was a a hold serve kind of year at best. Right. 274, 316, 373. It's a very tough place to hit, especially for power. Mm-hmm. But but you do want your you do want a guy who's not going to end up playing shortstop almost assuredly, especially with Brandon Crawford there. Right. Who's likely to end up at third base is probably his long-term position because that's where they're going to have a need coming up. Yeah, right now Eduardo Nunez is their everyday third baseman after trading Matt Duffy and obviously losing Joe Panic is a second. They're not right. they're not planning to go anywhere else there. He's going to be your third baseman. You want more than the three home runs he hit last year. This is the Jesse Winker, Christian Arroyo corollary. It is. You know, it's the guys who are going to you play positions that there's some power to them, and you want to see some more power than that. that that's, that's my real question with Arroyo. I actually think he will hit for solid power. He doesn't, but he doesn't draw a ton of walks either. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, you know, it's double A. He's young for the level. You know, that year is fine. I'm just kind of questioning where the impact's going to be. Is this guy going to hit for a high average and pretty, post a pretty high on base? Maybe. Is he going to hit for a decent average and get to his power enough where he's a 15 home run a year guy? Maybe. But there's just a lot of maybes, and there's just not a lot of certainty. And it's not just the stat line. It's the scouting reports, too. I do have confidence in Christian Arroyo's ability to hit, J.J. I mean, I, we were lower 
John Barr and I have had, we, we have this wink and a nod every time we see each other. Is like, we'll see on Christian Arroyo because we had him at 100 when they drafted him in the first mm-hmm. round. So we had him pretty low on the BA 500. I was the main reason for that. I was doing Florida that year. I just kind of thought he was a little bit of a tweener. And I still think offensively, he's a little bit of a tweener. Don't know how much he's going to walk. I don't know how much power he's going to hit for. I just think you have to, you're projecting a little bit. Still, still, even when he's in double A, to project him as a solid average regular at third base for a championship caliber team. And that's what the Giants want to be. Absolutely. And that's why he's not a top 100 guy right now. Right. I know he's been there before, but the reality of it is is that the year he had, it's hard to argue. Like, okay, to give you an example of two guys who didn't make it, and again, very different because Lucas Ersig, who's about the same age though, but Lucas Ersig was a guy who didn't make the top 100. Third baseman. And again, I think when, when you're projecting Arroyo right now, you're projecting him as a second baseman, third baseman. Right. Not really as a shortstop. Short because, and this goes back to when Christian Arroyo was drafted. It's been a lo- for a long time. Again, that doesn't mean he's not going to play shortstop in the big leagues. But scouts have always had skepticism about whether Arroyo, if he plays shortstop for you, it's that 50 defender at best, the reliable 50, not the guy who... Again, most teams want a 55 or better. Right, right. And the Giants have a 70, you know. <laughs> exactly. They have, I mean, that's the thing is that if you're evaluating Christian Arroyo tool for tool and you're measuring him up against Brandon Crawford, who has been your championship caliber shortstop, he doesn't measure up. Just right. tool for and tool. That's, and that's that's fine because Brandon Crawford is awesome. I mean, he's really a good and, player. And again, this is one thing that we go into. This is, some, this is something that happens with Giants players. You know, you don't want to overemphasize it. But Brandon Crawford is absolutely a better big league shortstop than I ever believed he would be. But he's a much better big league hitter. Defensively, yeah. he had the, right. the, he had the chops as a high schooler, minor at UCLA, Cape Cod League College. But I've talked to, you know, now I do Northern Cal, or NorCal coverage the last three years. And every time Brandon Crawford's name comes up, if you bring it up with an area scout or a cross-checker or even a scouting director who's have been from that area, they're always like, well, I didn't think Crawford would hit 20 bombs. Nobody saw that coming. And Brandon Crawford and the Giants deserve all the credit. Right. You know, so this is one of those things where it's not that Christian Arroyo can't exceed expectations because we've seen Giants guys do that. That being said, though, Christian Arroyo versus Lucas Ursig, neither of which make the top 100, Lucas Ursig at third base is so much easier to project him being that profile-type third baseman that is Arroyo. Again, this is it's a long-winded way of me explaining. I, he wasn't on the top 100, and it really wasn't something where he was sitting there at 101 and right. we were agonizing to not to try to figure a way to get him on. And if we're a little light on him, if we turn out to be light on him, that's, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked. It won't be the first time with the Giants guy. But I'm just trying but, to explain but, why but we're Chris light Shaw, on him. And Chris Shaw, who's number three on this list. Now, Chris Shaw is a guy who I would absolutely say has a chance to be an impact big leaguer. Correct. I think There's so. Just, and if you look at our BA grades on these two guys, his his ceiling is listed on our in the handbook as higher than Arroyo's because I think it quite clearly is. The risk is also higher because Chris Shaw is a first baseman, and he's continued to work on the defense. This yeah. has been a steady... You've heard this for a long time now with him. He's working on the defense. He's working on the defense. He's working on the defense. He is a lesser athlete by a couple of grades compared to Christian Arroyo. Absolutely. Now, his power is, that that is the calling card here. And at his best, you see that power with some on-base ability, with a decent hit tool. But 
it is something where now he was a guy who really did kind of run into the Richmond bus stop because if you're a power hitter and that's what you do, he, he showed some power there, but it's again very difficult place to hit for power. But it is a high bar that he has to reach. And again, when you look at him, I don't know, I can't tell you where he's going to fit in the Giants in the long term because Brandon Belt, again, when we talk about when we talk about Brandon Crawford, we're, we're running into it here that when you say Chris Shaw versus Brandon Belt, Chris Shaw has more power potential than Brandon Belt, but it's not by a dramatic amount. And then you compare everything else, and Brandon Belt is a better defender, and Brandon Belt runs better, and Brandon Belt has a better hit tool, right? And Brandon Belt has a better arm. You know, that's, it, that's the to me that's the steady thing with the Giants. The Giants really are a team that, in its run, has been very athletic. Mm-hmm. Brandon Crawford's an athletic shortstop. It's not like Delvin Perez twitchiness, but he's athletic. He has range. He has outstanding body control. Pablo Sandoval, even in his Fattest was still athletic for his body size. Yeah, he was. Joe Panic is a converted shortstop who's athletic at second base. Matt Brandon Duffy Belt's was a, a good, Matt right. Duffy was a converted shortstop playing third base. Correct. Brandon Belt's an athletic first baseman. I mean, he may not have your pre, your profile thirty home run power. Chris Shaw does. Uh, Buster Posey. What did everyone undersell about Buster? His athleticism. I love the way people put it in that draft year. He had a little more baseball athleticism than people gave him credit for. I mean, when you can play online positions, when you transition as easily from pitcher to shortstop to catcher as he did in his amateur career, that's baseball athleticism. Even like a guy like Angel Pagan, Hunter Pence, these guys are athletes. Um, that, that's Hunter the, Pence is, is probably the most awkward, awesome athlete right, there is in the world. Right. You have to be a great athlete to, be as, to do things as awkwardly as he does and succeed. And whose athleticism probably was always undersold? Madison Bumgarner. I mean, I don't think people you know, thought that he could repeat that delivery, J.J. He's such a low-slot guy. He's kind of the king of that phylum of pitcher. I'm kind of hooked on that now. But, I mean, he has strength and athleticism. So, I And, to... by the way, is also, I mean, like when you talk about his athleticism, and, by the way, is legitimately a hitter, too. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's, that's one place where it really plays. So I think the Giants actually are quite good at getting athletes the funny of thing all is, stripes. I, I would argue, and I know, like, but Madison Bumgarner as a hitter, like a pitcher who can hit, and Buster Posey as a catcher who could really pitch, they have two of the yeah, that's best. Right. That's like right. if you if you had to do that's a Freaky right. Friday where they actually like <laughs> Madison Bumgarner's got to catch this next week and Buster Posey's got to pitch, they do better at that than about any other team out there. Than most, than most. Uh, Zach Reinke, Zach Reinke's saying, I could, I got to find someone else in the Diamondbacks <laughs> exactly. who can do this with because I can do it. Got to find a catcher. Uh, JJ, I'm going to circle back a little bit on. Tyler Beatty, and then I'll, we'll ask about some of the other Giants prospects. Um, Tyler Beatty, two questions for you. How athletic is this guy uh, in terms of making adjustments and improving? And B, what's the state? What's the status of the breaking ball grade? Where, where is this guy's where is this guy's breaking I, ball? Where as an amateur, I mean, again, as a sophomore, I remember getting seven six six on him, seven fastball, six breaking ball, six changeup. And the next year, I remember getting. 30 breaking ball on Tyler Beatty. Where is he now? I'm, I'm sure I'm he's... See, you're seeing more of the flashes of the plus again. Okay. You really are. The thing he still does have, which is both good news, bad news, because you know me and the cutter. Oh, yeah. You the have cutter, a love-hate relationship with I, the cutter. I, I, I think a lot of pitchers have a love-hate relationship with the cutter. <laughs> he developed the cutter for him. There was a stretch there where I think he became too much of a two-seam cutter guy. Yeah. At the same time, the cutter is a good weapon for him. And yes. so... He's on that. He's on that. You've got to balance. You've got to balance that line because I do think it is very difficult. Whoever you are, 
The cutter and the breaking ball, unless you are truly special, those two pitches are at war with each other. <laughs> they can morph together and one can cancel the other one out. And the, the better your cutter gets, the more you rely on your cutter, it's often easy to kind of, that's when your breaking ball takes a step back. As he became a little less reliant on the cutter last year, the breaking ball started to get better again. And again, I think you also have to go with the, with the, uh, with the arm speed and all. Like again, you're seeing, when Tyler Beatty's throwing, you're seeing those fives and sixes at times. That also means that the arm speed's there right. to give you that breaking ball that sometimes kind of has, has slipped away a little bit. Yeah, now he, and that's, that, that's where the athleticism kind of, again, comes back into play for him. And let's talk about that AAA, that upper-level pitching depth, because Beatty's part of that. So, He's at the front of that, right? Let, let me, this is the thing that's crazy, because, again, <coughs> if you look at the big league level coming into spring training, no injuries yet, they have a very established top four. I mean, I don't think there's any. No one's right. cracking that top four unless someone's. And, and you know, you have Bumgarner and Matt Moore. You have you, you have Cueto. You have Johnny Cueto and Jeff Samarja. You have that, the two lefties. You have the two righties. Those, have, you, they, those that, are a lot of money there. That is those four guys. I mean, again, you could make the argument Jeff Samarja, ace reliever, but you didn't pay him to do that. Correct. So you've got those four, and then the number five job is at least framed right now as Ty Block versus Matt Cain, and. That would seem like more of an underdog thing than it really is. Ty Block, I mean, that, that outing he had against Clayton Kershaw at the end of the season does carry some weight. And the reality is, is Matt Cain, we have to see, is Matt Cain, is he 80% of right. the guy that Matt Cain used to be? Right. Okay. But let's go beyond that. He was drafted 15 years ago, JJ. That's crazy. 2002. That is crazy. That, he, he had his, his time as a giant and my time in the Baseball America basically coincide. Wow. Um, but... Which is crazy, but uh, but let's go beyond that. Okay, so you got here is here are the guys who started last year, who are slated to be in the Giants Double A or Triple A rotation. Okay, Tyler Beatty, check. Suarez, Andrew Suarez, Andrew yes. Suarez, Ty Block, yes. Joan Gregorio, Sam Coonrod, Chris Stratton, Clayton Blackburn, Chase Johnson, Matt Gage. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Those are nine guys that are in their top 30 who, and I'll tell you right now, not all of those guys are going to start. Right, I, right. Because, for one, you don't have that many, you know, you, again. I mean, like Chris Stratton, for example, when he got to the big leagues last year, was in a relief role. I know they want him to be a, a starter. He was a first-round pick. But I think it's more likely that he's going to have, you know, you know who he kind of reminds me of career-wise is Tim Stauffer. Hmm. High-drafted guy who was a consensus guy. And Tim Stauffer actually wound up pitching a good amount of solid big league innings, but it was mostly as a middle guy swingman. He made a few starts. To me, that's where Chris Stratton's probably going to have that kind of career. The, the guys that I look at and say, okay, Joe Gregorio, Sam Coonrod, Chase Johnson are, are all guys to me that I could easily see even moving to the pen this year. Right. But, John Gregorio is really interesting because, I mean, like this guy's stuff-wise and size-wise. He's massive. He's massive. It uh, feels like he could have an impact arm in a bullpen as opposed to a swing kind of role. And But the thing that does stand out with, with this, though, is, is that these are all guys who, again, if you said that it's a catastrophic year for injuries, and you said, okay, we brought up Block, we brought up Beatty, we brought up Suarez, who, polished guy. I mean, again, if you said that they needed to bring Suarez up at the start of the year to make a start, I wouldn't be that worried about it. Because right. 
This is, a, again, a guy with pedigree, a guy with feel, and enough stuff. Chris Stratton was up there last year at some point. If you said, you know what, we got an injury, we need you to come up and make two starts, and you're going to go back down to AAA, yeah, I, I could see that. He, he kind of is, the, right, he's the 2017 version of Chris Heston, to put in a Giants uh, uh, a, and, context. And the, the thing I'll say for Stratton that was encouraging, again, much like Beattie at a lower level, Stratton's stuff did pick back up. That's the thing that was always with Chris Stratton. And you don't want to, I mean, the, whenever you talk to someone with the Giants about Stratton, understandably, they bring up, you know, the concussion. Which, yeah, I mean, the that guy was got a, a comebacker off the head. I mean, we're just, we're just glad that he could still pitch. Yes. You know? That was a very serious injury. The thing that to me stands out, though, is, is that Stratton, who really was a guy who kind of really, you, you can't, I, when I think of Dakota Hudson, yeah. I think of, you know, Chris Stratton because there, there was a very similar track there where their junior years, they really, um, they, they really took giant steps forward and agree. The Mississippi spot. State guys who, yeah, I mean, because like, Stratton started his first couple of years, but he was never the guy. You know, I mean, he, his junior year, he was the guy. Right. Earns himself a first round spot. And the reality is, is that gets to pro ball and this happens. And again, uh, we don't know how much was the, the concussion, the comeback or all that, but his stuff backed up. And, but you also don't know how much of that was that a guy pitching on a five-day schedule, is he just, no, that's, you know, he's more of a kind of a, an average or fringe average fastball rather than the above-average fastball he showed in college. This year he started to show a little bit more velo. Again, it's not like he's turned himself back into a frontline starter, but a tick matters. I mean, right. like, it you matters. talk about Chris Heston. Chris Heston, if you say, like, Chris Heston had that one year with the Giants and then turned back into a pumpkin last year and is out of the organization now, Chris Heston, he he's on that. He's even more so was on that fine line. Right. The fastball backed up one tick, and all of a sudden that went from being the guy who could could succeed through a no hitter. I mean, but yeah, again, you, didn't, you didn't square either. You went from not squaring it up and hitting that ball on the ground to squaring it up. Right. That, that one mile an hour. But the thing that does stand out about this to me is for a t- organization that this is not. We don't rank this. This is a. a Bottom third organization as far as talent, we ranked it right now. But when you look at this, this is an organization that's going to contend in 2017, we expect, much like they have for most of the decade. I think they're behind the Dodgers. I mean, I'll, and I don't yes. see an easy way for them to catch them. It's but not, I don't think it's just the, the Pocota projections that have the Dodgers ahead of the Giants right now. Right. I think it's everyone's projections. But that being said, I do think that you look at this and say, this is an organization that can contend this year. And they have depth. Um, yes. These guys, I mean, this is, and this does not count. They traded away Alberto Mejia because they, you know, they needed, they, they were like, we, we, we were, we're good on our back-end starters. Right. The Twins were like, we need back-end starters. Exactly. Thank you. We, they we needed want, Alberto Mejia. But, but they needed able, him on that wall and they wanted him on that wall. But I do think when you look at this, that is the strength of this organization is, I do think, the strength of this organization to me is his starting pitchers and then it's relief arms. Now, right. when it comes to position players... Also outfielders. That's another phylum of Giants prospect I wanted to talk to you about. I wanted to hit on outfielders, and mm-hmm. I wanted to hit on their fascinating draft strategy of Oh, yes, we have to talk about that. That's a great final. That's a, that's a way to finish. Now, the Giants, in their big league outfield, you know, they've got Hunter Pence, who his injury last year really affected them, and they had a, a brutal second half. They got the worry, span. You do have to worry with, Hunter, with, with all these guys, but especially with Hunter Pence, you have to worry, okay... Uh, is that going to be? Is that going to become the new normal? Because right, he's old enough older. that you do wonder. And Denard Span is older, 
And yeah, but they just signed him. And he had, he had career high home runs last year. He had a good he had a good Denard span year last year. Yeah. But left field's been a rotating spot for them. So last year you ranked Jared Parker and Mac Williamson, neither one eligible this year. I'm not sure one of them has established themselves as a big league star yet. I'm rooting for Mac Williamson for Team North Carolina. He's my left fielder now for Team Carolina. I, I, and I have to have a slight inclination for Jarrett Parker because I ranked him one spot ahead of you him did. two years ago. You did. So, I, again, I, I, Jarrett Parker fits into my, like, when I have the Jarrett Parkers and Derek Fishers and all of the world, they all fit They all fit together in this, like, I've, I write I write up Virginia outfielders who kind of you strike know, out too much and, and are sort of tweeners. Like you should be athletic enough to play center field, doggone it! Why, why can't you? Right. That, that kind <laughs> Those of thing. two guys are birds of a feather, but they have uh, depth in the outfield. If those out, uh, coming anyway, if those guys, if Pence gets hurt, if Span ages, if Williamson doesn't work out, there's there's Parker. They're, they're, they have some other intriguing guys. Yeah, you got to start up. with Brian Reynolds, obviously. You start with Brian Reynolds, who they drafted last year. Switch Ooh. hitter, has a chance to have power for both sides. He also swings and misses a lot. He, he fits He's very kind well. He's kind of like Jared Parker is, and Derek Fisher. He, he is, and he is. And it's like, and you really like, can he play center? Yeah. But I, I do think he fits very well for them in that the Giants have this, and this is where tweeners kind of fit for them. The Giants need an almost center fielder in right field. Correct. It's a big ballpark. It's a big... Again, athleticism is at a premium in their ballpark. I mean, it's at a premium everywhere in baseball today, but I, I don't but, think I, I think they acknowledge that, which is but, to the credit of the front office. But what stands out to me is is that Brian Reynolds. If you said, can Brian Reynolds be uh, a tweener guy that actually is an everyday guy for them? I could see that. Right. Like whereas right. if you put him on a different. If you took Brian Reynolds, picked him up, and put him in a different organization, I would go, okay, I don't know how well he fits for them. Like, you know, you took him and put him in the Red Sox, where, you have, where you're playing half your games at Fenway. Right. And I would go, you know, you really want a little more defense in center, and put him in the corner, and that's really going to ask a lot of his bat. Because as you said, I mean, you, Brian Reynolds to you, what do you see? What is a realistic expectation for us uh, What's his slash line? Future big league yeah. slash line. You know, he's an interesting guy, JJ, because when he came to Vanderbilt, he was hit over power. He was the best pure hitter on the USA team after his freshman year. He was like the bat, the contact guy. His last two years at Stanford, he, he got bigger. Yeah, his swing got by Vanderbilt. His swing got bigger. What did I say? Stanford. <laughs> Stanford. And I'm like, no, he's not Stanford. <laughs> no. He's a Vandy. Oh, he's a Vandy I boy. Stanford. Vandy his boy. last two years... He got his he got bigger and his swing got bigger. But this is a guy who early in his career they were talking about him playing second base. I mean, and like, by the it, way, very important for the Giants, as you know this, he hit in the cape. Correct, he hit in the cape. It's important for most teams, but it's very but, vital for the Giants. There's no question. I, I cannot think of a top Giants pick, a, a college hitter that they've taken who bombed in the cape. It just doesn't. That's I'm going to look up Austin Slater's stats in the Cape. He may not have actually, actually he may not have played actually up there as part of the problem. But speaking but, uh, of that, right, that, that's what's in my head. I think Brian Reynolds has a chance to be a pretty good player. It wouldn't surprise me if he is an impact big league player. I, you know, I, he I fell in the second round because of the stuff we're talking about. We were a little surprised to be honest. We. It yes. Was, the thing that I do like about that, and I love their draft. I love their draft. Yes. For a team that's drafting late. That is not, you know, where they were drafting, they took big swings. And Brian Reynolds, but Brian Reynolds to me is the opposite of a big swing because 
You even though he has a big swing. Even though he has a big <laughs> swing. But, you know, he did hit for average. 329 is three years of Andy. So it's not like, you know, we're not talking about a guy. And he hit 346 with a 470 on base and 395 slugging in the Cape. So he didn't hit for power in the Cape, but he but drew he, a lot of walks. He So he has that. He he is one of these. I think I don't know if he's going to hit for average. I think he might be a 260 hitter with a 340, 350 I, on base and 450 slugging. He might be I, one of those guys. I think guys. he's a sliding scale guy. Like, again, you talk about some of these guys. To me, a guy who, because I did the organization, I talked, I wrote about him, talked to him multiple times, and all this. Todd Frazier is a to give an example of a college guy. Very, I know I pull out random guys, but Todd Frazier was a sliding scale guy. Right. Todd Frazier during his minor league career was more of a hit guy with strength in his swing than he was a power guy, and he got to the big leagues and he transformed. Into, yeah. I'm going to give up 45, 50 points of batting average and gain 15 homers out of it. And the thing is, is that Brian Reynolds Brian already Reynolds... did that. He's already done that in college. He was a high average, not as much power guy as a freshman, and he became. He he has already shown that ability, that feel for the barrel of like I'm going to trade a little bit of contact for more power. So can he keep so I on do doing think that? He has the ability to do. It's yeah. like it really is kind of he can calibrate a little bit of. You know, right now he's a little too passive, two-strike approach at times. Right. But I do think he has that ability. It's going to kind of slide there. Did he freshman, year, freshman year, he hit 338 with 24 doubles, only four home runs, but he walked 23 times. He struck out 49 times. By his junior year, it was 49 walks, 49 walks, but 58 strikeouts, but 13 home runs, and he slugged 600. So he's hit for better average, and he's hit for more power. Um, they, they, they're just very interesting in the outfield because last year's draft, J.J., Brought them uh, Heath Quinn, who had a monster pro debut. He has, I mean, he honestly, he has a chance because of the power to have a higher ceiling than Brian Reynolds. Yes. If Brian Reynolds is just a kind of a tweener, Heath Quinn has kind of profile right field that, tools. I would say that Brian Reynolds has a significantly safer path to having a lengthy big league career. Yep. But Heath Quinn has a chance to be even better. I, I, like I would if agree. Brian Reynolds turned into kind of a. Kirk Neuenheis type, where like he has a couple of years where he's a second division regular and a couple of years where he's just a pinch runner or fourth outfielder or extra guy, that would be a disappointing outcome. But I could see that happening. I, I could mean, see him they're, they're very different. But Angel Pagan, who yes. basically Angel Pagan, that's honestly like his best case comp. Really. It's like Angel Pagan had a long career of yeah. is this guy a regular? Is this guy right. a regular? And then at some point Angel Pagan goes, No, I'm exactly. a regular. That's right. He needed a chance. He needed to get healthy. But again, these but are the kind it. of guys they like. Yeah. You know, Juan right. Perez fits into this kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. this phylum again. Yeah, different kind of different kind of way. But, yeah, I mean, like, but Angel Pagan to become a regular until he was 28. The Giants are certainly hoping I, that that happens sooner than I, Brian Reynolds. I want to say I wrote him up in the Mets, like, in, like, 2003. Eight. You probably did right around there. Yeah, you might have. He debuted with the Cubs in 2006. But, um, but yeah, so you're, the other guys they have in the outfield who are interesting to me are Heath Quinn because of the corner bat. You wrote up Sandro Fabian, but who's very far away. Yeah, he's he's in a different discussion. But uh, Austin Slater and Stephen Duggar. Stephen Duggar and Austin Slater, J.J., are the guys mo- most likely that if they needed help in 2017 to help. Slater's closer to the big leagues. Duggar has better tools and is the better Duggar. athlete. But both those guys are pretty interesting, and I, I think they could help in 2017. Give us a little hint of why you think Duggar or Slater could help in 2017. If you pumped me with truth serum and said like Duggar versus Personal Brian cheese ball Reynolds, in this organization, yes. Duggar versus Brian Reynolds. There is a part of me that thinks that Brian Reynolds 
that Steven Duggar could end up better than Brian Reynolds. And because I think Steven Duggar can play center field. Yes. And that's something, that is something he has shown as a pro. Credit to the Giants, credit to him. He's taken a step forward. It's kind of a Cardinals draft approach, to be honest. Like, it's like a, it's what we talked about in their podcast, how they take guys who are kind of like tweeners defensively, you know, you try to coach them up, basically. I, I but I think the difference, the difference between him, like, I think of like him, like, it was kind of like Harrison Bader. You had this college outfielder who really was like, he should be a center fielder. Yeah. And then Harrison Bader was always a little bit more tweenerish. Duggar was always a guy who, I can't help but think of, you know, it's it's also kind of a Brad Miller type thing, you hmm. know, because again, they're yeah. both Clemson. Clemson, Clemson, yeah. Brad Miller was a guy who was like, he should be a shortstop. Right. I don't know if he's a shortstop, but he should be a shortstop. Duggar was a guy when he was at Clemson, it's like, he should be a center fielder, but I don't know if he's a center fielder. To his credit, I think he is better defensively now. And when we talk about a guy who can go either way, like, he has shown the ability to hit for average. He's also shown that there's some thump there. Yeah, and he takes a lot of walks. He has a long track record of taking a lot of walks. I think he's 389 more... 389 career minor league on-base percentage. And I think he's more of a top-of-the-order hitter than a middle-of-the-order hitter, but mm-hmm. he could be that. And again, J.J., you know who he... He, he also could be the non-profile left fielder if you don't put him in center. because he's And again, or even a right fielder, because you need that athleticism in these big outfields in the National League West. Petco on the road, Arizona, he Colorado. Right. He has the arm for right field. He might be that guy. He, I think he has a chance to be a very exciting player. I have to admit, I have a seed of doubt in the back of my head about Stephen Duggar. I saw him a lot at Clemson. He, I guess he liked the white shoes of Clemson. He, he, I just always remember him with those, the, you know, the no stirrups, the long pants. I just have this picture in my head of Steven Duggar looking the part and never quite coming through at Clemson. But as a pro, he's done it. And I think you have to respect that. That first pro, full pro season was really loud. They had a couple guys last year, him, Chris Shaw, Suarez, and C.J. Hinojosa, all from their 2015 draft, all college picks, all got to double A by Again, the end of the year. I, you know, it's funny because we're talking about this as a, you know, this doesn't have, they don't have that much impact talent at the, you know, that's going to really jump in. But I kind of like the system in some ways. I really do. See, I, I, th- I think that the few, all their guys have hickeys, all their guys have some more. It's like Duggar could be a tweener. And they're, they're, again, the amateur track record was a, a kind of almost a passivity. But now that approach seems to be working in Pro Bowl, I think that we we're a little, it wouldn't shock me if we're light on them again. I kind of like Austin Slater, JJ. Now yeah. I think he's more of a placeholder in left field. I don't know that he's when a you first division guy, regular. But when you talk about the guy who had a great year, yeah. Austin Slater's the guy who had a great year. Now he is older. You know he is. He will play this year as a twenty-four year old. He's a little. You know he's only it's a fourteen draft. So it's not. But we're talking about he's a little bit older than these. You know. Yeah. There's been some position questions. They kind of really have kind of settled on your left fielder. That's the thing is that he's athletic enough. Where he might have been able to, you know, if you, two years ago, I thought Austin Slater was going to be that right-hand hitting, utility, second base, third base, corner outfield guy. The Giants have decided, no, we're just going to stick him in the outfield. And I think their evaluation of him is he may have enough bat to be an everyday left fielder. I'm not convinced of that, but it wouldn't surprise me if he wound up doing a J.J. The power came on last year, 18 home runs. The question is, though, is just that... It's not he's, first division all star left field power. It's more platoon, and which is something you don't see as much. Ideally, what you want him to do is you want him to oh, there's a lefty on the mound, mash. Yeah. Because that's what he does. Like he's he's not as good. He's a right handed hitter who, like a lot, but more severe than most. His you know last year he 
destroyed, and I do mean destroyed lefties. It was a 1,200 OPS wow. against lefties when he was a triple A. You know, that's where his power came from. And now, the other thing that has to be a little bit of concern is, is that this is a guy who the power, everyone's always thought it was in there. Now, we could go into a long digression of Stanford and how their approach yes. and all that. I don't really, we don't really right. need to go there right now. Right. But, but Slater had never hit for power. I mean, coming into this year, his pro debut, he hit two. Right. Next, the year after that, double, I mean, spending time in the Cal League. I know San Jose is about as neutral a park as you get in the Cal League. But you go on the road, too. Yeah, and exactly. he had three home runs, you know. And he only, he, hit, he only hit five in three years at Stanford. One year, so, which went over for four. So, this year he hit 18. That, I mean, when you say he's 19 on our list, and if you say, like, am I light on him? It is entirely possible. But let me explain <laughs> where it comes light is, is that, I have to admit, I still carry a little bit of skepticism of when you see a guy go from having, we have essentially a five-year track record of no power. Right, right. And then you all of a sudden... Or more gap power than anything else. I mean, it wasn't, if, if he had power, it was to the gaps, it was doubles, it wasn't home runs. So when you play left field and that's your primary position, you have to hit home runs. It's just, it's part of the job. It's part of the job description. It's the top level, the top rung of what's at the profile. So um, I like him as a potential fill-in if they need him in left field this year. I'm not sure I like him as a full-time but, regular in left field. But I really do want to talk about the other thing that they did in this draft. Yes. Which, yeah, we're again, skipping back to the... So we like their 15 draft. Mm -hmm. Those guys, again, had really CJ Anahosa looks like... Seasons. I mean, CJ Anahosa, to finish up the 15 draft, 11th round pick. Now, they gave him a little bit of money, but 11th round pick... That was, they took the guy, this is one of those things that happens and sometimes works and often doesn't. But C.J. Hinojosa was absolutely in every way a dude. Yeah. He was a dude out of high school. And coming after his sophomore year at Texas. He was a Texas, dude early in his career at Texas. He led Texas to the College World Series in 2014. I mean, he was like the, he was the best player on a College World Series team. But his junior year was one to forget. It was a disaster. So the Giants, again, were able to wait till the 11th round. But they had track record with this guy. They had a long history with him. And, and, and you know, so far, so good. Again, he got the double A. He was outstanding in I the think he's, I think he's a utility infielder, but he is a guy who can right. fit that utility infielder because he can play shortstop. If there's another Matt Duffy in their system, it's probably him. Like a guy who was a late draft pick who turns into a regular. I don't think he's that athletic. I don't think he has that kind of speed or athleticism. But you he don't can have hit. a cat that is uh, 25 <laughs> pounds either. So, but, <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a weird one, too. But this year's draft, J.J., the Giants did not have a first-round pick. But we thought got a first round talent in their second pick, and they got Ryan a second Reynolds. round talent in their third pick in Heath Quinn, and then they got a former high school first rounder, supplemental first rounder in the fourth round of Matt Crook for not having a first round pick, JJ, for not having a big bonus pool. The Giants really had an intriguing draft. I, I think it was one of the most interesting drafts because this is a draft as as upside and as high variance players as you can get when you don't have a high bonus pool and you take almost exclusively college players. But the thing about this is okay, so you start with you start with Reynolds and Quinn. And I do look at that as is that is we have to get some value out of this draft. Yeah. We feel very comfortable that we draft these two guys, one of them should give us something. Right. You may not get both. I think that's safe to say. And Heath Quinn's got big power again. He's got kind of profile right field tools. I have a little question about his field of hit. I liked him out of high school. I liked him at Sanford, and, and he's an interesting player. But so you start with that. 
Then you go beyond that and you say, after that, you say, okay, now we're going to take the guys who... Let's roll the dice here. <laughs> if you tell me that they get nothing, and I mean nothing, out of Matt Crook and Garrett Williams and Stephen Woods, I wouldn't be stunned. You didn't mean to. You, you probably didn't mean to quote uh, or make me think of Schultz from uh, Hogan's Heroes, but I did. When you said, "I see nothing," but they could get absolutely nothing out of those pitchers. At the Stephen same Woods, time, Stephen Woods, unsigned six rounder out of high school, for some reason, turned down pro ball to go to Albany. No offense to Coach Miller, John Mueller at, at Albany, but Stephen Woods probably was offered more than the two hundred thousand dollars he got from the Giants, and. He didn't throw a lot of strikes at Albany, so maybe it would have right. been better for him to learn that in, you know, extended spring. But the reality of it is is that those are three guys who their college track records um, are spotty. Mixed. To say, to be kind. Yes. Uh, Agreed. You're, Garrett, Williams, all, Garrett Williams, whose best days probably came in, in when he was 12. Yes, in terms he was, of he was, he was absolutely... He was just that good. He was, Garrett Williams was the star of the Little League World Series. I take a team, I will put them on my back. And Hashtag will, a Little League legend. But I will care. One of the, I mean, one of the best performances we'll ever see at the Little League level. I yeah, mean, really. it was sick. But Garrett Williams' college career consisted of long periods of inactivity uh, sandwiched around uh, bouts of wildness. Correct. And that being said, his fastball-curveball combo... For a lefty, I mean, is about as good as they come. That dude's threw 73 innings in college in three years, including 13 last year. So he got, I don't even know if he made the trip with Oklahoma State to Omaha. No, he, with you. Um, I think he did because I think he made, like, I know he pitched in the Super Region. Like, I saw him pitch in Super Region. Not first, I watched, I was watching him pitch. I it's like, hey, Garrett st- Williams is coming in the I game. can check their stats and see if he actually pitched. Uh, but, he, oh, he did pitch in Omaha. Yeah. He faced one batter. He, uh, he, he got, he got, he faced two batters. He gave up a hit and got a strikeout. So no walks. Good work, Garrett. But, uh, but Matt Crook, now Crook had success as a freshman, blew out his elbow as a red shirt, as his red shirt or sophomore year, whichever you want to call it, came back and Big things were expected of him this past year, and really, he pitched himself out of the weekend rotation and into, you can't really use him. Right. That being said, with him, it's a little bit easier. Again, that was the year coming back from TJ, and when you talk about stuff, Crook's fastball at its best is just exceptional. You talk, scouts will talk about, like, it is one of the liveliest, it has some of the best movement of any fastball you'll see. Now, sometimes that almost could get him in trouble. Oh, it is. It's, it, it has so much life that it's a detriment. I and mean, there's no question that when it's, I mean, I had a scout in the spring describe it as magic life. Uh, 70 like, life on it's, a 28. It's legitimately scale. where you have the catcher put his glove in the middle of the plate, he throws the fastball, and you almost don't know, okay, I'm going to be chasing it out of the end, you know. I mean, who has the best fastball life in the big leagues? We were talk, trying to decide, like, who's... Who had the liveliest fastball? I mean, I'm not sure exactly how you define that. I would think Zach Britton from a left-on-left left was probably a but pitcher it, whose pitch has as much action as anybody in the But the funny leagues. thing is this lively and action yeah. are two different, like, You're when right. you talk about a sinker, I think of a sinker as it's not really the same as life. It's, it's again, that boring. It's movement, but it is a different movement. kind. It's a different kind. Life, basically, to me. When a, when a scout talks about life, a lot of times what they're talking about is, is that finish. Is that finish where how, it basically. How does, the, how does the pitch behave in the final five to ten feet? That's and usually, and that about. means it, it, at least optically, it's like it's got that bump, yes. that rise to it, like where you're, right. you're getting there, you're going to swing at it, 
And Matt Crooks has all kinds of life. It just, the last, but uh, too often, the last five feet, <laughs> that pitch eludes the strike zone. And mm-hmm. it doesn't start as a strike. If it started as a strike and finished out of the zone, he'd get a lot of swings and misses. And when he does that, he does get swings and misses, JJ, but he just doesn't get swings and misses consistently enough because he's just not in the strike zone enough. That was the history at Oregon. And as a pro, we had some interesting reports about him after he signed about right. spin rate you think would be really, really high that was actually below average. Right. I think, again, there, he, this was very much this is what the Giants do. Like, the thing I like about this and is this is, I, this is an organization where everyone there has been working together forever. Yes, there are no surprises. And the other thing about that is, though, is, is that what you have in that, and we talk about, you've got to have scouting and player development work together. And we've seen, I mean, really, if you want to talk about, it's very rare that you see an organization where those two departments, which I do think have become more integrated yeah. over the last, like now, much more than 15 years ago, you see organizations where there are people high up who that falls kind of both falls under their purview below the GM, which helps because you both are reporting the same guy. So right. there's, you know, the Jason McLeod kind of job. The assistant general manager in charge of scouting and player development. You know, if you have that person who then deputizes the right people underneath them, so you get everyone but on the same But then page. everyone's working the same page because you're not looking at it as this, we are drafting the right guys and those guys are ruining them. Or why are they giving us these guys? Right. So again, we go back to our all time story of, you know, we remember their organization was like they would draft a guy as a catcher. They would yeah. hand him to the player development side, and the team would then make him an outfielder. It's like, no, we drafted him as a catcher. That's right. And the Giants' all-time story about that is is the Dick Tidrow, John Langus story. Yeah. We drafted this guy as a pitcher. Well, he we need a center fielder in Salem Kaiser, and he was a center fielder when he played. It's like so Jack Hyatt says, we need a center fielder there. Let him play. And when he fails, you can have him as a pitcher. And Tidrow was like, very well. So Kulangas goes out and hits like 340, and Tidro's sitting there going, this is unfortunate. When could I have this guy's valuable left arm? Kulangas comes back in next spring training, and they're like, he hit 340. Let's send him out of the side league and see if he keeps hitting. And Tidro's like, very well. Goes back, you know, sits in his chair, waits for them to put the helmet on. He's making the bad joke, Dick. But, um, well, as soon as Kulangas failed... He's off with being a pitcher, and, and within two big, years, big league left-hander. I mean, he had injury issues, but, and his career didn't last long. But this is what I'm talking about. That was the point. It, it was the point of they did what player development needed to do, but as soon as he failed, they had that plan ready to go, and he and they executed it. But they the, are on the same page. But the other thing about them being on the same page is, is that this is a confidence. You have to have confidence in your player development side. Right. To draft one of these guys, you don't have to have confidence. To draft three of these guys, right. you have confidence in your pitching development where you say, we can draft these guys, and we can give them to our guys. Right. And Dick Tindrow and Burt Bradley yeah, and right. all these guys are going to improve these guys. So when we they, have confidence. When they get in that meeting, and Shane Turner is the farm director, and he knows what they're going to do with these guys. They know how they have to handle it, that he could set expectations for, hey, look, low-A manager, you're gonna have some rough days. You better have, so they know. But they'll we better also stock some, it. Yeah. Right, we better stock the bullpen with some guys who can go long and be ready to absorb because these guys are gonna have some awkward outings. But we There's know. No but they have the confidence that those guys can help develop those guys, and that's why you can draft guys like that. Yeah. And again, there are organizations where you can't draft three guys like that because you 
you re- really would worry. Correct. They took it as, I mean, again, we're talking about, <laughs> they did that. They also took, I mean, they took Ryan Howard in the fifth round, by the way, who, again. Second time in a row they've drafted him. They drafted him as a 20th rounder as an eligible sophomore. They know again, this guy. But Ryan Howard, this is, we keep talking about the shortstop class. I, there's no one that you love in the college shortstop class of mm-hmm. 2016. That being said, you just know that some of these guys are going to end up as big leaguers. And they took a chance on a guy who, I mean, the reality is this is your USA Baseball shortstop. Right. Didn't say a lot for the college class that that was the USA Baseball shortstop. But, he, again, if you tell me he ends up as a big leaguer, that's not going to surprise me at all. I like I liked a lot of their risky pitcher drafts. Garrett Williams, Matt Crook, again, Stephen Woods has arm strength. Alex Bostic, left-hander. Oh, Alex Bostic. We didn't talk about I mean, But he is every bit. Alec Bostic is a fascinating, like... He, he didn't re- have the... He's not a Little League legend like Garrett Williams was, but the, otherwise the stories are pretty similar. Oh, very similar. But the one difference is, is that Bostic, given an opportunity in the ACC tournament, because yeah. they literally had no other... Anybody else fresh? Anyone at all? All right, we're going to use Alec. And all of a sudden, he goes out there, and... I mean, you were there. I mean, it yeah, was... Four scoreless, uh, inning, uh, four scoreless innings, eight strikeouts... I can tell you when I but tweeted... But no, but it wasn't it, just the results. It was the stuff. It was the stuff. It was up to 94 on the stadium gun. And as I'm tweeting that, JJ, I had two area scouts who DM me to ask me to... Whatever other information I had about Bostic, like his pitch count and how many strikes he threw, they asked me for any other information that I could give them because they had, had, to, they, they had to be elsewhere. Conference tournament time. It's mm-hmm. hard to squeeze in everyone. And Bostic had been a hard guy to see. So, hard, impossible. So he's you a guy that you te- couldn't sit on him there because you would in- never know if he was going to pitch. There was information asymmetry. I keep on using these Clint Longenecker terms mm-hmm. that I used to give him a hard time as his boss to say nobody talks like this, and now I'm talking like it. So Clint changed me. Um, but Alec Bostic was a guy that teams just didn't have enough information on because they just hadn't seen him pitch enough, and that's but you, Alec so you can go stuff. and mess up in the South Atlantic League, and the and the Giants can plan for that, and you can lose those games, and you can't do that. I'm in looking for again. The funny thing is that this is what we're talking about. These are all guys who you just talked about. These are all college draft picks. Yeah. And they're all probably going to be in Augusta. Yes. Because you can't send any of these guys to high A. More than likely. Maybe Ryan Howard. But you probably no, want I'm Ryan Howard. No, I'm talking about the Howard. college arms. Right. But the thing is you probably want Ryan Howard to be that shortstop. Like, hey, when these guys do throw a strike, let's reward them for that by turning that into an out. When the ball is batted and the ball is in play. I'm forward to seeing this Augusta team. Yeah. Really it should be a very interesting team in the South Atlantic League. So, I, you know, I think the Giants... For for them for what they could do for the limited bonus pool they have for not having no, a first, first round pick, pick. I had a, a draft that we could look back on five years from now, and they may get one or two guys out of this draft, but they may get four or five, and they may get they may get real impact out of this draft, and that is hard to do. Now we, the thing about we're, this we're coming is, out of this much more optimistic than we were when we finished their top thirty. It's but, pretty funny. I, I maybe I did a poor job of convincing everyone. I really did <laughs> because those. Tail end of the prospect handbook. Like, no, I really do like this in some ways. I really do. But um, I can punch some holes in it if you want. But <laughs> but the thing that does stand out for me about that is, is I do want to, we'll, the, we'll end it with a word of caution on this, which is these drafts also do fail. I mean, they fail bad. I think back to the Brewers draft of yeah. Monte Harrison. Cody, Cody Madero's Monte Harrison, and Jacob Gatewood. And oh it's, too, it's too soon to say that that is completely a bust. But... The results do not look good so far. Now, that's a little different because they went in the high school high-risk, high-ceiling fight. Right. And this is the college. But, again, the thing that I like about this for the Giants is, is that the guys we're talking about that 
are the high risk, high reward guys are fourth round, sixth round, right, t- eighth round, tenth round. If you that, whiff, the, the if thing- you whiff on those guys, you shrug your shoulders and you go nothing ventured, nothing gained, really. But to the to the Brewers, fortunately for the Brewers, their eleventh round pick in twenty fourteen was Brandon Woodruff. So they're going to get something out of that draft. We're pretty confident. Brandon Woodruff is in the top 100. So Brandon Woodruff, their 11th round pick in 2014, as many top 100 spots as, as Tyler Beatty. In fact, I think he's ahead of Tyler Beatty in the top 100. Both SEC class 2014. Beatty was the but pitcher of the year in the SEC in 2013 when he went 14-0. and That was also a year, JJ, where he had like four and a half, yeah, five walks per nine. It was weird. It was really... It was a weird year. It was not a sabermetric year I will, say, I will say this, that analytics had not come to the SEC pitcher of the year voting at that point. Because well, I really do think that his next year, yeah. he was better, but he didn't have the, the win-loss record. Say la vie, for sure. Uh, uh, we, we, I, I don't see any Giants questions in the queue, but I will remind people, at any of these uh, uh, podcasts... You can tweet at JJCoop36. You can tweet at, tweet at me, at John Manuel BA. You can still email us at I, podcast at baseballamerica.com. I'll give a shout out that this means that Roger Bunter is not, uh, he must not, be not on Twitter right at this moment because <laughs> I right. don't think there's any way, a long time listener, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's any way that he would not have tweeted at least a question at us. He, uh, I mean, he tweeted at us uh, four hours ago, I think, when he was getting ready to go to sleep, that uh, the old podcast where we ranked the top tens. Uh, like we, we did like a top, an organization draft where fun listens, but he likes the deep dives we're doing this year. So Roger, we hope you gave, we gave you a deep dive in this podcast. We want to remind you that all Baseball America's podcasts and our Facebook lives are sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off the field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. If you're a baseball fan, you need to check out baseballism.com and visit their retail locations in Cooperstown, New York and Scottsdale, Arizona. Visit baseballism.com and enter the code BA2017 to ta- save 20% off. So for JJ Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll talk to you again soon on another Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit baseballamerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.